thought I wanted to talk some about healing today. I know we usually do it. Amen. Amen. Sometimes we need to, I told the Lord not too long ago, I said, well, God, I really would like to do more healing meetings. He said, you can do them. He said, just talk about healing more. I said, oh, okay. Well, that sounds good. Because I usually do it in the format, format of the healing school because that gives us more time. That gives us more time for ministry and so forth. But I think it's always good to talk about healing. That's how it gets started in us. Amen. And that's how we're going to uh, remain healed. I know most of us do pray our divine health prayer. And, you know, we have the word uh, resident in us to a degree. But then there are some times where you need to be a little more established in in God's word, especially where your physical condition is is concerned. So today we're going to talk about the fact that we are redeemed. Amen. We are redeemed. And what are we redeemed from? I think it's important to know. And what are you redeemed into? So you, there are some things that we have been, uh, uh, the, the time of that captivity to certain things is over. Man. So the time for your captivity as far as the curse of the broken law is over. You're not in bondage to that anymore. Sickness is not legitimate for any child of God. You know, we could almost say not legitimate for anybody, but it does take faith to walk in the redemption and the redemptive power that the Lord Jesus Christ has purchased for us. And faith takes commitment to believe God. It takes a relationship where you study and and you listen to the word and you meditate on it and you fight any other thought that comes to you that is contrary to God's word. So it, it takes some diligence and it takes commitment, but it's not difficult. Amen. It is doable. Amen. Anything that we want by faith is doable for us because we have all the help that we need for that. So the word redeem, though, uh, really comes from uh, one of the words of uh, Hebrew word that means next of kin. It, it means somebody who is very close to you, a close relative, a close family member. You know, Jesus was known as the kinsman redeemer. And uh, that term, all of the, uh, many of the characters, what we call characters or people that we see in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, are prefigures of Jesus Christ. So they have at least one facet of the character of Christ resident within them. And their story is told so that we will know about Jesus and know how to expect him to relate to us in that way. So the story of Ruth and Boaz is an interesting story because it talks about the relationship between a young woman who was not an heir. When you are, are, are when you receive Christ in this life, you're not receiving it because of some inheritance. It has to be offered to you and you must accept the relationship by faith. And so Ruth was uh, married to a Hebrew who passed away. And his, his mother then was left, and so was his, his widow, who was Ruth. And so we see Ruth as somebody who's, 
who's got an inheritance somewhere, but it's going to be hard for her to claim it. She can't claim it on her own. So she needs somebody to intervene for her. Amen. So here you have Jesus as our high priest who is intervening for us at the throne of God for us to receive our inheritance, which is a redemption from the power of sin and darkness on our lives. The world's problem is sin. It's not lack of money. It's not lack of the right person in the right office. The world's problem is sin. Always has been, always will be. And so we know that when God does things, he gets to the root of the problem. So Jesus came and preached the kingdom, which you had to repent of this life to enter in. And so when you made up your mind you wanted Christ, you turned your back on this life. And Jesus, by his precious blood and his substitute in your place, purchased you out of the power of the devil to do you harm. So you have all, if you are born again, you have been bought out of the power of darkness to do you harm in any way. Also, you've been bought out of the power of darkness to do you good. For those of you who think you can be born again and sin and have a good time, I gave it up because it really wasn't fun no more. You know, I didn't like feeling bad that, you know, God had done all this for me and look at me and what I'm doing. You know what I'm saying? You don't feel good about stuff like that. You're not as powerful a sinner anymore either after you come to Christ. Because his faith working in you has so diminished the devil's faith in this world and what it offers, it ain't funny. Now, I know there's some people who are deceived into thinking that they're here to be materially wealthy and serve God too. Okay, serve two masters. Then serve one or the other. You're going to love one, hate the other. Hate one, love the other. So you can't serve two. So you'll get an understanding of how, how saved you are, for lack of a better term, once you get to try and live the old life once you've been purchased out of it. That purchase is real, folks. It's not a mind game or a fake thing. Or something that you could feel sometime and not feel other times. How you feel about God is really not up to you. It's up to the Holy Spirit and what he reveals to you. He can jump up and show you the life of Christ in the midst of your darkest trouble. And in the midst of your uh, deception and trying to pretend like you're not saved anymore. He can do all of those things. And so when he purchases you, it's a done deal. You're bought for real. This is no plaything. And the Holy Spirit has sealed you against sin, backsliding, all of the devil's power until the day of redemption. So this is, God is not playing. He's not doing this and you can wiggle out of it. It's done for good. It's done eternally. And it's done for real. And that should be a security to you and a comfort to you. Because when you come to Christ, you really have said goodbye to the old life. And everything that it entails. And so when you come into the the idea of being redeemed, it is a purchase. It is a spiritual purchase that is legitimate in in heaven, in the earth, and under the earth. So your purchase out of the power of darkness is valid in all three realms. There's no realm the devil can take you to. 
that God will allow him to put sickness on you that you can't resist and get your health back. The Bible says he restores health unto us, amen, and heals us from all destructions. So there is nothing that can stick to you because you have been purchased out of the power of it. It has no power on you anymore. God has papers on you that says the devil is illegitimate trying to get involved in your life. If we will hold on to that and believe it more than we believe what we see or what we feel or what's been told us or what we think or anything like that. If you will hold on to the word of God, that word will carry you through every difficulty you ever face and you will prove to yourself that your redemption is valid. See, until you experience it, it's just a thought or something. But once you use that word to pull you out of some difficult and dark situations, you prove to yourself that your redemption is real. That you have been purchased out. And darkness has no more power over you anymore, ever, in life. Now, it has a deceptive power because darkness can linger over you and make you think that you can't get free from the things. That's why I hate to see people who are... are, are blood bought get get tripped up over certain things and let the devil deceive them into thinking that they have to do certain things or they can't do any better or they're they're stuck somewhere that they can't get it's never true it's never true i don't care how long it takes if you give it over to god he will show you that you are free from that power whatever it is that's trying to hold you back and hold you down and so when we say we are redeemed that's not just a phrase or something to sing. This is a real, real thing. So in the story about Ruth and Boaz, we see Ruth, who has was a faithful wife to a Hebrew who had a family inheritance of land over back in Bethlehem. They were in Moab. They were traveling down there because there was a famine in Bethlehem at one time. But how many of you know that when you run somewhere trying to escape something, you might get comfortable in the place that you landed? You say it's temporary, but you get used to it. You got family there, you got a little property, you got a little job there, got a little something there. And the thought of going back to where you originally came from is a remote thought to you. It's gonna take a lot of upheaval and so forth and so on. In order to get back, both of those, all of the men in the family had to pass away. In order for God to get that family back to Bethlehem, which is where God wanted them to be. How many of you know that God is constantly working to get you somewhere he wants you to be? He always is. It's best to stay in step with him and not miss a step. But if you do, he will retrieve you and bring you back to where he wants you to be. He always does. His will is the best will and his will will be done. And so Ruth then uh, decides that she's going to go back to Bethlehem with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and they're going to live the best life that they can. Ruth has an understanding that her husband was a, a uh, their family was a fairly prominent family, but it's going to take somebody who can obey the Hebrew law of redemption to get her back into the place where God wants her to be. That's what he did with us. We're so like that. 
there's somebody who's got to step up to the plate and pay the price of redemption to get us free from sin, of sickness, of poverty, of everything that is against us. Poverty is not a good thing. Now, you can have access to all the wealth that you want, but if you don't have access, you're stuck somewhere. And if you're a wealthy person and you have access, that's different from being broke and poor and not having access and not knowing how to get access. And so Ruth was kind of shut out of things. She and Naomi were shut out of things until they went back to the place that they came from. They went back to the place that God brought them to from the beginning. You'll starve somewhere trying to make it work anyway. Huh? You'll be sick somewhere trying to make it work anyway. But if you can get back in the will of God where you're supposed to be, you'll find there's blessing there, you'll find redemption there, and you'll find a rescuer there. And that's what they had in Boaz. Hebrew law commanded that if a man died without uh, an heir, that the widow was to marry somebody else in the family who could redeem the family property for them. And that's what Jesus did for us. He's redeeming God's kingdom so that we can live in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. We can be blessed and not cursed. We can live eternally with him. So he came as our kinsman redeemer, somebody who qualifies. The kinsman had to be there as one who qualifies. So Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. He qualifies because as God, he left everything that made him wealthy, powerful, strong, and of a high repute and made himself as no reputation and came wrapped in human flesh as somebody who's a near kin. If he, he hadn't done that, it would have been the same thing as bulls and goats. They can't relate to us. That was the Old Testament sacrifice. But him coming in the form of human flesh made him somebody just like us. He feels what we feel. He knows how that feels. When somebody rejects you, he knows what that feels like. When somebody wants to do away with you, he knows what that feels like. He knows what it's, you know, you see some of these people telling my haters, honey, you don't know what haters are. <laughs> you come with a message of love and everybody hates you for it. That's having haters, okay? But he survived all of that and came, overcame it so that the Bible says he can be a good high priest for all of us who are walking down here on earth. He's been touched with the feelings of our weaknesses. You know, the woman uh, at the well. You know, when she met Jesus, you know, she thought she was going to get her husband number seven. How many, what did he say, she had five or six or something? Yeah, right. She, she thought she met husband number six. You think women didn't hit on him? Are you kidding me? Some of you ought to read a different translation. I read the great interesting version of the Bible and I, I just get all kinds of stuff out of it. But she said to him, she said, uh, how is it that you're talking to me? You Jews don't talk to us Samaritans. In other words, that's a come on line. For those of you who are too old, been married too long, or just been gave up on the process like myself. It took me a while to figure it out. But it is. She says, why are you talking to me? Y'all don't talk to us. 
huh? Huh, kid? You gonna treat me like you do them light-skinned girls, kid? Take me to the bar with you, kid? Huh? This is a in operation. Huh? <laughs> Complete with her neon sign. Forever shenanigans. Huh? Or at least until number six, until number seven comes up. But but it was typical and yet without sin. It didn't twist his mind one way or the other. You know, he just allowed people to be who they were and he was constantly revealing himself as Messiah to them because he had work to do. Amen. He had a great job to do. And so here here it is, uh, Ruth and and Naomi now are back in Bethlehem and they need somebody desperately to step up to the plate. And offer them their lives back. Offer them their inheritance back. Any life that we have is in God. It's not in this world. Your life is so short in this world. And and your usefulness to the devil is so limited. You know what the devil does when he's finished with people? He drives them crazy. Gets them on drugs. And when he can't use them anymore, he just destroys them. Look at all the people, entertainment people, wealthy people, who die prematurely because of their dependence on drugs. And so when we think about the alternative, what God offers us is an excellent life. And so when he tells us he's here to redeem us and give us an inheritance, that inheritance is rich. You know, God will never give you and bless you less than the devil will. In fact, he will bless you even more. Anything you get from God is an improvement because it comes with no hang-ups, no penalties, and no curse on it. And so when when uh, uh, Boaz stepped up to the plate, he found out there was another relative who was higher in line than he was. It's not like Jesus doesn't have competition for our hearts. Hmm? It's always something, someone standing ahead of him. For attention in our lives. But he was able to make sure that he could top what that guy could do. And so Boaz then steps up and allows that property to go back to Naomi and to Ruth where it rightfully belongs. And he marries Ruth. And so it's a picture of Jesus' relationship to us as believers. We are really the bride of Christ. We have full inheritance rights. See, being a bride is different than being a baby mama, than being a a girlfriend. I'm going to use a nice term because it ain't nice out in the world. Or being one of a number, you know, somebody on slow speed dial. And moving down every day because somebody's always going to take top place take your place and so when when god comes into our lives he competes against everything else and he wins out he wins out for our affection because he highly regards us he knows our worth and all he's trying to do is to get us to see our worth in other words i gave up everything for you i came down from heaven I was king and lord up there and I allowed myself to be wrapped in sinful flesh just to prove to you that I was coming down to relate to you and be on your level and then elevate you up to mine. 
See, he never leaves us in the same condition we were in when he finds us. He always elevates us. The Bible says marriage is honorable. That's why we got so many messed up, dishonored people out here and people that don't know who they are and always, you know, and fighting somebody and tearing the house up and you better get my baby some diapers. That's your baby. You don't have to go to no court to find out that's your baby. That's not honorable. It drags God down. It drags people down. It drags the whole estate of, of family, family life, recreating children and being parents. and all. It drags it all down. You know, people think they're having it easy because they're not, I can go anytime I want to. Well, get to getting. Huh? You know, there's something more important in life than just going whenever you feel like you want to. And then they get nervous. They start seeing people around them having kids, doing this and that. And then they want to step up there and start doing everything everybody else does in a hurry. That's not God. God has planned for you that person that will complete your life. He has planned for you to meet that person who is right for you. He has planned it already. We need to trust him and get in line with his plan. But God wants to elevate us all to a place of knowing we belong to somebody who loves us unconditionally. And that's Jesus Christ. So he is a great high priest. He is a faithful kinsman redeemer. He is a near kinsman because he he, uh, walked the earth as a human and he overcame everything that ever came against him. In Galatians 5, we see, I'm sorry, Galatians 3, if you'll start turning there, we'll talk about what the word redeemed really means. Galatians 3, it says in verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you, This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? You don't get the Holy Spirit by working for him. You get him by believing that he comes into your life when you renounce the world. He says, are you so foolish having begun in the Spirit? Are you now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministers to you in the spirit and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? You can't work miracles by working them up. They're done as the spirit of God wills if we will believe. Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So believing God puts you in a different state. Puts you in a righteous state. That righteousness, the Bible says, there's no law against it. There's no penalty against it. There's no sin in righteousness. So, this, just think, if you if you go to the doctor and they tell you that they found this, this, and this on your X-ray, and you just hold on to God's word, you go in there in God. Don't go in there with a question, wondering. You're either redeemed or you're not. You're either saved or you're not. If you're saved, you saved all the time. You didn't get unsaved because the doctor said he saw something on the x-ray. 
for you to receive that as belonging to you, you would have to unsave yourself. If you'll hold on to I'm healed, I'm redeemed, I'm not sick, I'm not receiving sickness, it's not for me. Jesus, Jesus purchased me out of the power of sickness. It can't stick to me anymore. I'm like Teflon as far as these evil reports are concerned and diagnoses and sickness. I'm not waiting for a diagnosis. I'm believing God that I'm healed and then I'll come through it with a good report. Because all you're doing is taking their word anyway. Anywho. I'll talk to my Kleenex. Huh? It's all words. You have a choice as to whose words you believe. You always have a choice. Huh? You have a choice. If you hold on to what God says in the midst of temporary evidence, x-rays, reports, lab tests, if you will hold on to what God says... God says, I consider you righteous. And there's no law against righteousness. So as long as you hold on to the word of God, you stand in a position of invincibility as far as sickness, death, any of that stuff is concerned. It can't touch you. Legally, it cannot get on you as long as you're believing God. What the devil wants you to do is get so overwhelmed by what they tell you, you drop what God tells you. Uh, and you start believing everything else that's said. Well, that stuff is for people who, who don't have no God, who haven't been bought back, who haven't been born again of the power of the Holy Spirit. It's for that, but it's not for you. You know, people try to get you to believe that if you if you do this and you do that, you know, you're under the curse. You ain't under no curse. All the all the suffering Jesus did for you, if that didn't pay for it, baby, nothing will. So if you're not redeemed, nobody is. You got me? So you gotta hold on to it. This whole life is is about holding on to something and letting go of something else. If you make up your mind, you're going to hold on to God's word and hold on to his truth and what he says about you, then you will get victorious in every single thing that comes against you. But if you get wishy-washy and you just wondering what, wonder what, I want, you know, and it's, it's normal to wonder in some situation. You know, you ever have a pain and you think, just wonder what that is. Ah! <laughs> Stop it. Uh, I'm healed. I don't care what it feels like. I'm healed. Amen. You drag yourself out of bed and you make more noise walking across the floor than <laughs> creak, 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 creak. I'm healed. Huh? That creaking is just a sign of I'm healed. Huh? <laughs> That's what that means. Huh? We well, get a pain somewhere. Some people say that <laughs> was so funny was. It was kind of amusing to me a little bit because I think about how we interpret things that happen to us. And I was praying for people, and a woman came up and she said, I got pain in my heart. And I said, 
How do you know that? I said, what do you mean pain in your heart? I said, isn't it really a chest pain? And she just started crying. She said, yeah. She said, that's not my heart, is it? I said, no, it's not. I said, in a minute, it ain't going to be your chest either. Yeah, in Jesus' name. You know what I'm saying? Because, see, we, we get real deep with stuff sometimes. You know? It's gas. That's what I wanted to say. <laughs> but I want to go cast that out at the altar. I'll lighten up, everybody. Huh? But you're redeemed. Righteousness is everything. Nothing can stick to you. Nothing can, Nothing of the curse, nothing of, oh, I did so and so, I was so bad. <laughs> Jesus is for bad people. Huh? Redemption is for bad people. You've been redeemed. You're no longer bad. Just cut it out. Huh? So, he says, even as Abraham believed God, this is verse 6, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith are the same as the children of Abraham. That's righteous people who are heirs of the promise of God. Your inheritance is health. Your inheritance is wealth. Your inheritance is peace of mind. That's what you inherit. Well, you know, sometimes stuff run in families. I don't know what family you belong to. But I've been adopted into the family of God. I've got good papers on my adoption. huh? I am adopted into the family of God. With full privileges, full rights, full inheritance, full everything. God didn't leave anything out. And he says in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, that's anybody, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, in, thy, in thee shall the nations of the earth be blessed. So then they which are of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. So everything God did for him, he'll do for you. Everything God gave to him, he'll give to you, and more so. And he says, for as many are of the works of the law under the curse, for it is written, cursed did everyone that continues not in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them. So in order to live self-righteously, you'd have to do everything perfectly. Right down to thou shalt not covet. Huh? And so it's best to be redeemed. You don't want to have to work your way into righteousness. There's no such thing. And he says, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by, not by works, not by trying to do everything right. Not by trying to figure out, oh, what I wonder what I did wrong to open up this door, to let this, everything. So let's end that conversation right now. You did everything. But there is somebody who paid the price for you to get free from doing everything. Amen. Amen. You know you can be found not guilty. And the world and everybody else still hold you in contempt. You have to know if you're guilty or not folks. And if you will understand what God means when he says you are redeemed. You are purchased out of the power that used to hold you captive. In other words, sin doesn't have power, or you can stop anytime you want to. Ooh. 
you better believe it. You can stop anything anytime you want to because the power of God has purchased you out of that power that holds you captive. It's a big deception when people say things. I've seen new believers come in, been taking dope, fornicating, all kind of stuff, and just believe that they're not supposed to do it anymore and trust God and never do it anymore. Never walk back into it. Then you'll see others who keep saying, well, I'm struggling. You better quit because you don't have to. You don't have to struggle with anything. When you make up your mind you're done with it, then be done with it. And God will help you. That's what the new birth is for. You don't have to struggle with anything. You think struggling's fun? It's not. That's why God redeemed us from that. So he says, the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that does them shall live in them. But he says, in Christ, we are redeemed from the curse of the law because he was made a curse for us in our place. So when Jesus took on sin, he took on pain, he took on rejection, he took on all of those things at the cross. They were laid on him and he took them away. Away where? You don't want to know. Not your business. All you got to believe is he took it away. Then when, when I feel sick or when something happens in my body, what's that? That's what's called a lie. Huh? We would always call them lying symptoms and then people who supposedly knew more than we did said that was wrong to do. But I know I don't put my faith in it. I don't put my faith in anything that's manufactured in this world. Because this world is temporary. God's word came before this world came. So how could something that came after it take the place of what came before? See, if I was here already... You know how some people go in, <laughs> go in a different place and put their coat down everywhere. Uh, I put my coat on that seat. That's my seat. Why? Because I was here first. I mean, it really is that simple, folks. I mean, we complicate things by trying to see how spiritual that thought is. It's a very spiritual thought. huh? If the doors opened at 6 o'clock and I came here and I put my purses on every seat in here, then my chairs. You want want good seats? Come early. Get here before I do. If the devil wants to run this world forever, he got to get here before God did, right? Well, God's already laid claim to everything down here, so he can't have it. You come too late to lay claim to anything. That's why when God gives us things, he tells you, I have given you that already. How could he give it to it? Because he owns it. And he'll give it to whomever he wants to give it to. So he's redeemed us from the curse of the law. Has he redeemed us from the law? No, just from the curse. The curse comes if you break it. Oh, does that mean I can just, don't get stupid. You know, Paul answered that question. You know, he said, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. 
Well, grace is the ability to overcome sin. It's not, you know, and he says, shall we sin so that grace abounds? He said, God forbid. You don't think stupid like that. You think like that. You need to go back and get saved again. You know what hell you lived through as a sinner. You know how hard life was for you. I remember I, I worked in hospitals all of my life before I got saved. And uh, I can remember being scared of everything. I mean, it was, you know, like you were a germaphobe. You were, you know, you stayed in the emergency room saying, check my this, check my that. You know, you get around people and they're coughing and carrying on. I mean, you, it was a hard life just to stay normal for a minute. And then I looked back on those times and I thought to myself, God, it doesn't even faze me now to be around sickness or be, I want to help people to, to be healed. But being afraid of everything and always running to the doctor, you know, like, is this a lump here? You're checking yourself all the time. This is not normal, people. And God knows it's not normal. That's why he redeems us from the power of checking ourselves all the time to see if we lumpy, not lumpy. Does it move? Doesn't it move? Does it hurt? Don't it hurt? When was my last this ray? And I mean, I'm sorry. Now, if y'all live like that, you know, God bless you. But there's a better way. Can I say that without hurting anybody's feelings? You know, when you're a young woman of reproductive years, you stay in the dino's office. Something hurt. You know, this is, you know, I have, I have bad cramps. I would kill to be able to take a mite all today. But you know what I'm saying. Other than that, but you know what I'm saying. You just, when you're redeemed, you're over all that stuff. You are so over your body and what it's doing and not doing and watching it all the time. God watches out for you. If there's something wrong with you, he will let you know. And he has a plan to take care of it and bring you back into health. Come on, y'all. We don't have to live in fear anymore. Redeemed people live by faith and not by fear that something's going to happen. When you know you're redeemed, you even pray differently. I remember for years praying, binding this, binding that, warding off this, and you know. And I thought to myself, it's better just to live believing that this stuff has no power over you. And you can quit trying to bind up imaginary things that aren't going to happen to you anyway because you're redeemed. Well, three of you believe it. I thank God for the three people who do. The rest of you wake up. Because I told my best <laughs> terrible jokes. <laughs> the old ones, you know, ones that always work. Yeah, I've done that already. So y'all pay attention here. So we are redeemed by his shed blood. In Romans 8, you look there. It's a good thing to know. This has no power over you. Darkness has no power over you. It says in verse 1, there is now therefore no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Not just you made a one-time confession, but you continue with him. You walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. You're not pursuing the things of the flesh. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. 
The law of sin and death says when you do something wrong, you got to pay a penalty for it. The law of the spirit and life of life in Christ Jesus says when you do something wrong, you repent and the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all unrighteousness. You got me? And so it's a different law that you live by. At one time, we did have to be afraid when we did something wrong. But now we bring it to the cross and bring it to the altar, and God frees us from it again and again and again. It says, for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, condemned sin in the flesh, that that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So when you pursue walking after the spirit simply means walking in a knowledge of God's word at all times and believing only that. In Proverbs 4 it says, son, attend to my words. Pay attention to what I'm telling you. And he says, don't pick up another thought that is contrary to it. He said, keep it in front of your eyes at all times. Bind it in your heart because it will bring life to you and health to all of your flesh. The word of God brings medicine to your entire flesh. There is no flesh that the word of God, I don't care if it's cancer flesh, I don't care if it's diabetes flesh, I don't care what kind of flesh it is. It will bring life and health to all of your flesh. The Bible also says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. How many times do you tell the devil you are redeemed when he tries to get you involved in unbelief about something or he tries to put something on you that's not for you? Tell him you're redeemed. You need to tell him that when he tries to mess up your finances just as well as when he tries to mess up your health. I'm redeemed from the curse of poverty, devil. Do you realize my daddy has more money than you will ever be able to help me destroy and misspend? And keep at it. Don't give up. I know some of y'all, you know, do all that fictitious accounting. Huh? Your checkbook. Writing rubber checks and trying to beat something to the bank and all that kind of nonsense. And He knows that. God knows you'll be tempted to do that. It's just a temptation. Don't make it a way of life. Don't give up on doing the right thing ever with anything. I don't care what it is, your finances, what God gives you. Be a good steward of what God has entrusted to you. So let the redeemed of the Lord say so. When we're redeemed, we need to say it. Say we're free. Say we're healed. Say we're children of God and heirs of the good things of God. If you're an heir of God, you're an heir of health. Don't look for sickness. If you're an heir of God, you're an heir of prosperity. Don't look to have less money every time something happens. Look for a raise. Look for an increase. Look for a better job. You're an heir of the promises of God of all things that pertain to life and to godliness. So start expecting good things. Why would you expect not to have enough money? You know, we go nervously to the, I don't know how you check, <laughs> check bank. I, I, uh, I accidentally check mine. I don't check them on purpose. It's called denial in some places. <laughs> Faith in others. You make your choice. You tell me what you think it is. 
But I know that I don't, I'm not concerned and worried about things because I know what God has. And I know what he'll do for me if I'll ask him and believe him to bail me out of situations. I had a situation recently where the government was suing me. I, I uh, co-signed for a student loan for a girl who never found a job. Now, see, and this happens to people. Now, people say, well, you never should have done that. I don't regret doing it. Huh? Don't ever regret doing something you did in faith. Learn how to turn these things over to God. Regret will not help you get out of it. Are you talking about a sister praying? I was a praying. Huh? Got the holy water out from the Catholics and everything. I mean, you know, I was working it all. I wasn't sure where my breakthrough was going to come from. You know, you go back old school, some of the stuff you used to do before you supposedly knew better. See if it'll work anyway. But, you know, when I, I really started speaking to God about it, and I said, now, Father, I said, I have no doubt that if this were going to be a disaster and you were trying to avert it, you would have stopped me or told me or warned me or wouldn't have gone through something. I know God to work like that. And so I said, I believe I did the right thing. I would do it again. I said, I'm not fearful about anything. I said, but that's a whole lot of money, God. A whole lot of money. And so I remember wondering where I was. <laughs> now, first of all, I need me a free lawyer. You, know, you don't go to, in court and tell them you can't afford it. You better have somebody. You better pony up before you go in there. I had that, that much sense. So I was thinking to myself, I said, well, if I call legal aid and they see I got a house, you know, you think all these things. So I called them anyway. I said, I am a widow on a fixed income with a house with no, with no mortgage on it. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Well, let's sign you somebody. I said, cool. I'm in. That little lady worked for me. And she said, well, I don't know now. We're going to have to decide a settlement. And I said, this is already settled in heaven. I am debt free. There's no liens on me. The blood of Jesus paid everything, past, present, and future. I have no bills. I owe nobody anything but love. I love you, court lady. I love your government. I love all y'all. You understand what I'm saying? And so a day before... The mediation hearing where I was supposed to go in and tell them I can pay you so much and we do this and do that. The little lawyer called. She said, well, I was watching this and I wondered why they never responded. You know what? I'm redeemed. I don't owe nobody nothing. They never responded because I don't owe them nothing. You understand what I'm saying? I owe them nothing. Now, people, now listen, the self-righteous will say stuff like this. Well, you borrowed that money and you owe it. You need to pay your debt. He paid it already. If he'll get me out of it, you have no power whatsoever to put me back in it. You understand what I'm saying? $80,000 a year for tuition is a disgrace a disgrace for what these young people get and they let them sign for these things knowing that they will not make close to that money in three years when they get out 
This girl never found a full-time job. She worked part-time and was looking all the time. You understand what I'm saying? There's no money to pay anything back. And so God gave a reset. And so when I, when I got the papers, it says uh, dismissed without prejudice. What that means is that they don't give you a reason which opens the door for them to do it again, you know, within the statute of limitations. But I said, you can sue me again, but God will get me out again. He got me out one time, he'll get me out again. You understand what I'm saying? You know, I was using every scripture I had. God, you are the you are my husband. My maker and creator is is God. And you're a husband to the widow and a, 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 a father to the orphan. You establish the border of the widow. They will not put a lien on my house. They will not take my house. You are established my borders in Jesus' name. Talk about a sister cookbook and her some scriptures. I had me a confession that would not wait. so you build your faith in these things why because I'm redeemed his blood bought me out of poverty you know the devil's always after you with poverty when you're young he makes you too crazy to know how to spend your money you don't save any you want everything tomorrow and you go into debt for it and then when you're older he starts taking what you do have because your income is Fixed. No, my income's not fixed. My heart is fixed on God. Amen. And trusting in what He can do for me. I have unlimited resources. God decides to send me, shoot me some money, He shoot me some money. Shoot me. A, I'm believing Him for my next car. My car's kind of like falling apart on me. I think I got the only car that thinks, thinks I'm a car thief when I go to start it up. I said, no, the devil has used everything he can use. It says anti-theft mode uh, engaged. I said, listen, I own you, car. <laughs> I see you, car. But look, I own you, car. Huh? Car, you better start up in Jesus' name. Huh? But it's, it's trying to rebel on me, see. I said, we've been friends. Oh, remember when I prayed for you and you came into my life? And them heathens used to own you. I gave you a good home. <laughs> it's the truth. We don't wash as often as we should. Me or the car. But I did today, so you don't have to worry about anything. I I knew I'd be around people, so I did today, so don't worry about anything. But you know what I'm saying. You just, you know, for old times' sake, car, you you better start for me. And so you prophesy to these things. You declare God's word over them. They'll run until you get tired of seeing them, you know. That's what redemption does, folks. Your words are redeemed. Faith is redeemed. Your words work in heaven. Amen. God honors what you say. So, now we need to look at at least one example of how Jesus sees illness. And that's in Matthew chapter 12. I said all that to say this. Matthew chapter 12.
I think it starts in verse 9. says when Jesus departed from there he went into the synagogue and behold there was a man which had his hand withered and they asked him saying is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him so if you could imagine and this is the same thing with Jesus now people always make it up stories trying to get something on Christians you know what I'm saying trying to get you bait you into a conversation so it can be recorded that you renounce the Lord you know a lot of these little entertainers that always want to jump in front of the camera you know like that's some big honor listen if the Kardashians can stay on TV for how many years they've been on there anybody can get a TV show you know it's no big honor to be on somebody's show and You know, it used to be Oprah. Everybody wanted to get on her show because that would make you blow up overnight. You know, now these people want to, sinners, want to bait Christians, ministers, whomever, in the conversations to make you renounce Christ. It happens more than we think. You go on there and you give some soft pedal answer. Number one, it ain't your word. You don't have to defend God's word. All you have to do is speak the truth. And, you know, people are always saying, well, well, how could, how could Judas uh, betray the Lord? You do it too. For the right price, you just ain't been offered anything. Huh? But we have opportunities every day either to stand for what we believe and stand for Christ or to renounce him and bring him to an open shame. It's wrong. And so we we need to understand that we need to stand for God at all times, amen, at all times. But they will try to trip us up, and they're doing it more and more. Why? Because time is winding down, folks. If you don't believe that, uh, read your Bible some more. But the devil gets angrier and angrier and shows it and is more exposed the the least amount of time the fewer days or years he has to do what he's doing down here on earth and he's taking people to hell as fast as he can and so it's up to the believer to speak god's word it's god's word not our word once you speak the word of god then god has something to defend if you don't speak it he has nothing to defend on your behalf and so here they are the pharisees are trying to accuse him instead of trying to help the people in the synagogue they're trying to trip up jesus you know i've been in churches like that you know where god sends you and and you're trying to help people and all the the ministers do is watch you to see if they can find some fault with you and you know something to trump up to throw you i've been locked out of churches you know God will give you your own building. You get locked out of one, he'll give you another one. Amen? So don't ever worry about There's nothing the devil can threaten you with that God can't undo for you if you'll be obedient to him. And so here it is. He's in the synagogue. Jesus already has in his mind that he's going to heal this man. Whenever Jesus makes up his mind about something, he can't, cannot be talked out of it. And there was a man that had a withered hand, and they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on Sabbath days that they might accuse him? And he said to them, What man shall there be among you that shall have a sheep and it fall into a pit on the Sabbath? Will he not lay hold of it and lift it out? 
Jesus sees a believer being sick and in a, and really any human being uh, being sick as an emergency situation. What did we just read there? He sees this man with a withered hand which you know he's if he's got one that ain't withered he can use that you know in a compromise mentality but it's not God's standard for him. It's not what God intends for him. We have to get out of the mentality of living with what's tolerable to us and find out what God intends for us and how he intends for us to live. If we can get up to his standard, we can really find out something about God. We can find out that God wants us to have finer things without the... the overhang the hangover of a bill to pay with interest that's accumulating every day if we'll get an understanding of what God has in mind for us but Jesus sees this man with a withered hand granted he's probably got another one he can use and if he sticks that one in his pocket a cleverly devised pocket you know (laughs) it looked like Napoleon or something you know what I'm saying or like Michael Jackson with the glove. You know what I'm saying. I mean, there's ways you can camouflage your deficiencies. But Jesus says he's the same way as if you had an animal that fell in a pit and is hollering out to you to get him out of there. Sees it the same way. We need to understand his heart as far as illness is concerned and get our faith up to match his level of how he sees that. He takes no joy in seeing one of his children hurt, sick, debilitated, without adequate finances, without adequate anything. And we can use our faith to ask him to get us in that place that's acceptable to him. That's all you're doing when you're seeking God for anything. You're attaining to that place that's acceptable to him. It's not always your call to decide how you're going to live and what you're going to have. Because people can tolerate almost anything. But God has called us to live in a certain position in life for his glory. For his glory. And so he says, how much then is this man better than a sheep? In other words, a human being. I know what the New Age people think. You know, you save the whales, kill a baby. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, They don't think we're better than animals. Everything is being poured into animal rescue, but people rescue, we go to jail for it. He said, wherefore is it lawful to do well on Sabbath days? The Sabbath day was created for us to keep it holy and do good. So doing good includes healing people. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and it was restored whole just like the other. And the Pharisees went out and tried to destroy him. You know, religion likes to keep people complaining. You know, but yeah, because they can get you back next week. They're scared to make you better because they're scared you might move on. (laughs) Not knowing that most people, when they get better, they'll stay in the place that made them better. Or if they move on, they have a right to move on. You don't hold people anywhere. You understand what I'm saying? But there are many people Jesus healed. 
And they followed him for the rest of their lives. Why? Because that was the best thing that ever happened to them. So religion will always seek to keep you bound. God either did it before and he won't do it or you, you know, get ready, get ready, get ready. Oh, you weren't ready. It left already. You understand what I'm saying? It's either coming or it left. And so that's religion. It's never in the now. Faith is now. It's a now commodity. Faith will heal you whenever it's turned on. Whenever that word of God is turned on on the inside of you and you start stirring yourself up with faith in God's word, healing starts to flow in your body. I don't care what you see and what you feel or what you don't feel and what you don't see. That word is working. Why? Because the word says it's working. When you start to hide the word in your heart and you allow yourself to believe God, to dare to believe what he says in the face of everything that's against you, that word begins to work. And that devil that was looming over you and staring in your face and defying you and telling you it couldn't just fell down to the ground dead. Amen. Because of your faith can't stand against the word of God you're redeemed what does that mean that means that when you sin and you mess up you don't go in the pokey huh why because there's no condemnation to us you know what condemnation is it says you're guilty and you deserve it and you don't deserve anything from God that's not for us I know it don't sound right but start saying it it'll get good to you huh I know my sins are forgiven Amen. And I'm glad they're forgiven. I don't want to live as if I can't handle the penalty of sin. And you can't either. That's why Jesus took it. People have been trying to get out from under the penalty of sin forever. And so God has redeemed us from that. Not that we go on and sin some more. Because that's not even in your heart anymore when God moves in. But neither is condemnation when you do sin. So you have to learn how to live in that place where you know what the blood of Jesus has done for you and you go on to do the right thing before God. The devil gets you to stumble, then you stumble and you repent and you ask God to forgive you. And the blood of Jesus cleanses you again and again and again. And so redeemed people understand this. You're much more valuable to God with him forgiving you then you are sitting around feeling bad for what you did. You think that really helps him and helps you? Condemned believers are the most dangerous people because they start to spread condemnation on other people. You can tell when somebody's not right in the head. They start looking for everybody else to be wrong. And they could be right if they take advantage of what God's provided for them. Why are you living like that? You don't have to live like that. So Jesus sees illness. He's in a hurry to get us free from illness. That's why healing is one of those things you don't have to wait on. Now you may wait, but you don't have to. I would press in for the immediate, even though it doesn't come right away. Just be expecting to be healed at any time. Just just be expecting. Amen? Expect to be healed at any time. And God will do it. In, uh, let me see, in Luke chapter 13, we see another example. Somebody else running around in the church. You know, you see a lot of people be obedient the best way they know how. 
But they're in a church that doesn't believe in the healing power of God. Huh? Sometimes God will bring somebody to pray for you. That's where there's so many uh, ministries, prayer ministries, that God does miracles through. He wants to get healing to people. You see all those people. I, I was privileged to visit the 700 Club. It's been about 15 years ago. And uh, God had me minister to the prayer counselors there. Uh, it, it wasn't planned or anything like that. It was just one of those things that had happened. I remember having sent my testimony to them years before that, some years before that. And uh, there were people, some people called me back and they were had me fill out questionnaires and all this kind of stuff. And uh, I was... I was interviewed on the phone by somebody, and the woman said, um, well, I just need some recommendations from your pastors. I said, well, we just moved to the place that we are. I said, I'm not really joined to the church, but I am a minister. The minute I said that, boom, devil got mad. She said, well, I realize God calls women. I said, oh, boy, we're going to run into this devil. You know, I wasn't as saved then as I am now. I didn't say nothing mean to her, but rather than cuss her out, little witch, I want to say, oh, I see who running stuff down there. Jezebel, you're a witch. But anyway, I was sweet. So I said, well, if you decide, you know, that you can call me. Never got a call. And so then a couple years later, we were visiting. It was my husband was alive then. And we visited Virginia Beach in Virginia, and I told him, I said, I want to go by CBN. And there was a, a friend of mine that I had met as a prayer counselor over the phone there, and uh, we had exchanged numbers. He said, we're not supposed to do this. He said, but I'd like to talk more to you. So I talked to him, and we talked about, you remember Sonny Matthew. They came up to visit the ministry some years after that. But I didn't know then, but he was in charge of the prayer counselors. And so when I went down there, he said, oh, I believe this is a divine appointment. This is something God's ordained. This is something. See, if God can't get you in a door one way, he'll create a door for you another way. And I was, I was really glad God opened that door because people who hear people's problems all day long, and I still pray for them and pray for their prayer counselors because they need it. Those people were so discouraged, and they were so, and I told them, I said, I said, you are totally equipped to do what God tells I said, anybody who calls on that phone, you are more than equipped to do what God has called you to do here. I said, don't ever feel inequipped. I said, always feel privileged, always feel empowered. I said, you're the only place that some people have to go to hear a true word from God. And so it was, it was a good time. It really, really was. And we were able to, to encourage them and able to, you know, do some things there. I was able to pray with them, lay hands on them, bless the place. A lot of different things I did while I was down there. And it was very, very fruitful and very productive.
And so God has his way of setting people free in things and allowing people to understand how much he loves and how much he cares for them. And so God, he just will do it, folks. He will do it. So you you have to depend on him to do what he knows he wants to do in these situations. But he took the faith that I was using for CBN to put me where he wanted me to be there. You got me? And so it's a blessing to have God's blessing over your life in that way. So in Luke chapter 14, that's where we were going to, right? Luke chapter 14, we'll start in verse 1. And it came, uh, let me see. Oh, Luke 13, I'm sorry. Luke chapter 13 and verse 13. Verse 10. He was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and couldn't straighten herself up. When Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loose from your infirmity. In other words, you are loosed from your um, sickness, what's keeping you Bound, what's keeping, he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath. Jesus wound up calling her a hypocrite. But Jesus sees illness as something of an emergency nature. He wants you free from it like yesterday. You'll see this over and over. Anytime he had an opportunity to, where faith was involved, he would reach out and touch people. It doesn't say this woman asked to be healed. It doesn't say anything about her level of faith. Same thing with the man with the withered hand. And so I would take it to mean there are sovereign acts of God where whether or not we request, he will heal us. I believe that when you walk in covenant with God, healing is a continual process in your body. As you feed on the word of God, it begins to drive sickness out, drive weakness out, drive infirmity out. If you will stay focused on God's word. Hardest thing to do sometimes when your body doesn't feel well is not to consider it. But it's possible. It's not too hard. You can do it. The Bible says Abraham did it. And he had a baby when he was 100 years old. And his wife had been barren all of her life. And so it is possible to get that faith of Abraham working in your life because we are redeemed from the curse of the law. Your Redeemer will let you see your deliverance in the flesh. In Job 19.25, Job said, I know my Redeemer liveth, and in my flesh I shall see God. You know, people used to, people who didn't, excuse me, know anything about faith, health, and divine healing would say things like death. Uh, I've heard them say death is a a kind of healing. Mm, It ain't the kind I want. (laughs) Just in case y'all thinking about praying for The kind I want is the kind where you stay here. But we know that's not true. Because Jesus never killed anybody and told them they were healed. You got me? He raised them up from the bed of affliction. Amen. Just because you can't do it or you've never seen it done before doesn't mean God won't do it. 
<coughs> let him do a new thing sometimes. Jeremiah fifty thirty four. your Redeemer is powerful. He is the Lord of armies and he fights for you. So he fights sickness. If you believe his word and declare his word, he will fight sickness on your behalf and drive it totally out of your body. Isaiah 49, verse 7 and 48, 17, your Redeemer is holy. Redemption is an act of holiness. That means it purchases you out of powers that are sinful and would be against you. There's no law against righteousness. Holy things could not be redeemed. So there's no higher price to be paid for you than has been paid. Amen. If you look in the old Levitical laws where God would consecrate some things and make them holy, there was no ability to buy them back or to buy them after that. They could only be stolen. And that's true about you. If you let the devil steal you, he'll steal you. But God will come and remind you who you belong to. You understand me? So you're never hijacked forever. Blood is always the price of redemption. Ephesians 1.7. He purchased us with his own blood. We are redeemed by the blood. In Colossians 1.14. The blood has redeemed us. It's the highest price ever paid for any commodity in heaven or earth or under the earth. So you can't out-purchase God. Romans 8.23, we will be adopted when our bodies are redeemed. So when you die and you, you're transformed into a glorified body. So you will be totally adopted and totally redeemed when your body is totally redeemed. I can't wait. I want a size 6 body, and I want size 7 feet. I want feet like Chuck. So, (laughs) Amen. So you'll get whatever is very, very pleasing to you. So we got hope yet. (laughs) In 2 Samuel 4, 9, it says your soul is redeemed out of all adversity. You know, you can have perfect everything. And if your mind is not sound, or your mind is not solid, or you don't know how to uh, get control over your thought life, but your soul is redeemed, your mind is redeemed out of all trouble, all adversity, everything that would be against you. So don't say you can't meditate on the word and keep yourself from thinking sick or thinking about how bad it's been or how long it's been. You can do this because your mind and your soul are redeemed out of all adversity. Isaiah 43 tells us, fear not, I have redeemed thee. The knowledge that you are redeemed is your major way to fight fear. If you can declare your redemption on a continual basis, fear will not attach itself to you. Will not attach itself to you. You look at that and say, "Mm -mm, that's not for me. That is not for me. Not because I do everything right. Or not because I ain't cussed at nobody in 15 minutes or thought a naughty thought in 10 minutes. But because of what Jesus did. I am redeemed and I believe in the power of the blood no matter how I feel to set me free from every adversity. God has purchased us back into himself and we can serve him without fear. In other words, you can go to God freely and expect good, not bad. 
you can go to God freely and expect, I don't care if it is bad news. I don't care what you did, how you did it, and who you did it to. If you go to God, you can still expect good at the hand of the Lord. Amen? He doesn't have any timeouts for his children. Jesus paid the timeout penalty. You can step as quick as your mind can accept it. You can step right back into righteousness before God. It's a wonderful thing. So we are redeemed, folks, from every curse of the law. Are we redeemed from the law and having to obey it? Of course not. We have to obey God. This is not some slick process for you to go around and do what you want to do and get out of trouble all the time. But it is a way to walk in righteousness and holiness before God all the days of your life. Because the devil has no power over us anymore. Amen? All right. Why don't we stop? Father, we thank you for your word and for understanding. Thank you, Lord, for holiness. Without which no man can see God. Thank you, Lord, that we are a purchased people. We're purchased out of darkness. We're purchased into the glorious, marvelous light of the Lord Jesus Christ, where there are answers, there's hope, there's power, there's love, there's soundness, there's health, there's every good thing we need, and the fruit of the Spirit to sustain us as we walk through this earth. It's a wonderful thing. So we thank you, Jesus, and we bless you for your shed blood that flows so freely to cover us, redeem us, and to help us in every area. In Jesus' name, amen and praise God. Amen. If anybody 